So this morning, we are greatly honored to have with us Reverend Dr. David Goldberg. Some of you might recognize him from his picture in the Science of Mind magazine. But today, Dr. Goldberg is exploring new opportunities and just trying to figure out what he wants to be when he grows up. Other than a fantastic speaker, I don't hear him speak enough. Please welcome Reverend Dr. David Goldberg. Mic drop. What a joy it is to be with you today. And I have to tell you, I was so grateful when Reverend Norm called and invited me. And he said, well, you know, we've, we've changed things up a little bit. I'm no longer wearing a tie. And I thought, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> because I've never understood that about a lot of men in our society. We wake up in the morning, we take a razor to our neck, and then we put a noose around it. <laughs> So as I've, during this uh, little sabbatical, I've been experiencing the opportunity of not having to do either. Most days I will do one or the other, but it takes a whole lot to get me to do both anymore. So I, I bless Norm in that experience. And speaking about attire, you know, I'm so grateful to have the love and support of my husband, Rick. And I came walking down the stairs this morning and almost always I hear, wow, you look great. And today I heard, wow, look at you. <laughs> and I get it. You know, I don't pull off orange. Not very many people can pull off orange. But I have two really great excuses. It's Bronco Sunday and they need all the help they can get. And we're a couple of weeks before Halloween. So cut me a little slack with, with the orangeness here. You know, the other thing that I, I love about October is Halloween and the opportunity to celebrate. When I was a kid in school, I don't know about you, but we had exactly three official parties a year. We got to celebrate Halloween, we got to celebrate Christmas, and we got to celebrate Valentine's Day. So as I was reflecting on what I was going to share with you today, it came to me that I, I'd like most, if not all, holidays. And the thing that really dropped in was an experience that I had around Valentine's Day when I was in ninth grade, right? Back in the, in the olden days, that was the last year of junior high school. So we were, the, we were the big guys on campus, or the big people on campus. I happened to be president of the student council, and we were in charge of the Valentine's Day dance. And so, you know, we wanted all of our friends and all of our colleagues to be there. And we were doing guerrilla marketing long before guerrilla marketing was popular and thinking about what we could do and how we could make it different and how we could make it fun and make it interesting. So we came up with this great plan. We had this wonderful idea. And we got to school the Monday before the dance that was going to happen on the weekend. And we just plastered posters everywhere, on the lockers, in the bathrooms, yes, in the teacher's lounge, that hollowed ground. And we just had this stuff everywhere so people could see and come and experience our, our big event with us. And so we were all excited and we were all in our different classes. And just before the first period announcements, over the PA for the whole school, we hear, will David Goldberg please report to the principal's office? <laughs> 
and that was fine. You know, I was a student leader and the principal, and I, I called him Mr. T, and he called me Mr. Goldberg, which was pretty heady for a ninth grader. So I'm like, oh, great, I'll go have a visit with Mr. T. So I walk in, <clears throat> and big, imposing guy, bald, spectacles, you know, what, what one might expect stereotypically of a, of a junior high school principal in those days. He's sitting behind his desk, and there are four or five teachers all standing around them around him, all holding these flyers that we had plastered the school with. And he's looking in his desk, and he looks up over his glasses, and he's looking at me, and he said, Mr. Goldberg, are you responsible for this? And I thought, this might be a trick question. <laughs> and I said, yes, sir. You know, we, we are trying to promote the dance. We're trying to get people to come. And uh, he said, Mr. Goldberg, while I appreciate your entrepreneurial spirit plastering the whole school and asking everyone if they have VD fever is not appropriate. <laughs> now, how did I know where his mind was gonna go with that? And I just kind of looked at him, and that was a bit of a backhanded compliment, right? So I, I appreciate your spirit, and I appreciate you're trying to do something different, and no. And he looks at me, and he says, please gather your colleagues, and I want every one of these down by the end of the first period. Do I make myself clear? Yes, sir, you absolutely do. And the long and the short of it is, we got all the posters taken down, uh, wasn't necessarily the message that we wanted out, and we had great attendance at the dance. So, <laughs> the good news is, I still have VD fever. <laughs> so when I was visiting with Norm, and he was sharing with me that your uh, topic for today was change, and my iPad decides to update. That's extraordinary. Let's see, that's why we have a printed copy as well. <clears throat> so, as was referenced earlier, our founder, Ernest Holmes, was really interested in looking at the golden thread in all of the world's traditions. Not what makes us different, but what makes us the same. And so, throughout the Science of Mind textbook, we find references to change, changeable, changed, changeless, changes, and changing mentioned more than 40 times throughout the entire textbook. Compare that to certain and certainly, which are only mentioned 14 times. I think Ernest Holmes was on to something. What he wrote is, the greatest good that can come to anyone is the forming within him of an absolute certainty of himself and of his relationship to the universe, forever removing the sense of heaven as being outside of himself. So who knew that all of this could come about from change and what that means to us? As I was working on, on my talk, I posted on Facebook this week. I said, I'm looking forward to being with my friends in Colorado Springs. It's such a beautiful community, and they're always so kind when I, when I come. And I'm talking about change. What is the best advice you have to offer someone about change? Well, I got more than 100 interactions, not just clicks and likes and, you know, what? But um, 
but people commenting about what change means to them and the wisdom that they share about change. And as you would guess, it's all over the place. Of course, we hear the only thing constant is change. Lean into change. Um, one uh, friend said, I like it because it adds up. Um, okay. An another friend and fellow minister writes, the only people who appreciate change are babies. <laughs> and then we got some, some more serious and some more metaphysical thoughts. The secret of change is to focus all of your energy not on fighting the old, but on building the new. And Ralph Waldo Emerson, we change whether we like it or not. And then, you know, wouldn't be, a, wouldn't be a Sunday talk, wouldn't be a sermon if we didn't have some kind of analogy. So a couple of them that, that struck, uh, struck home for me is choosing harmony allows newness and grace to emerge. A second one is constantly having a new growth experience. So I want to recognize that we're all over the place with change. And one of my favorites is, I'm all for it, as long as I don't have to. <laughs> uh, and as our founder, Ernest Holmes, writes, change is always taking place within the changeless. So what we know as metaphysicians is whatever we do, whatever we're pursuing, whatever we're approaching, starts from within. It starts with our inner work. It starts with our connection to our understanding of the divine. However we explore that entity, that energy, um, it starts when we do the internal work. It starts with going within. And so too, when we're focusing on change or when we choose to embrace change or at least look at change. So today I wanna offer you uh, seven tools and three different perspectives. So for the linear thinkers, you can tie one of these into each one of the chakras, if that will help you remember it. You can tie one to each day of the week, and you can engage in a different practice if that's easier for you. Or you can pick one and say, that one sounds interesting, and that's what I'm gonna focus on this week. So here are some ways that you can expand and change and this is based on the work of Deepak Chopra. And the first thing that we know, my friends, is, is anything that we do, anything that we engage in, starts with forgiveness. And I would suggest that any of you that are here today, anybody that is on any kind of spiritual path, is at least familiar with forgiveness in one form or another. And perhaps you're a, a bit more advanced in your practice, and you are, you, you forgive others pretty regularly, and I bless you in that. You know, it has been said that when we hold on to grudges or when we hold on to anger, it's like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. So when we forgive, we release that energy and we create room for more good, whatever we're calling into our lives. Uh, prosperity or abundance or relationship or position. And a really important piece of that forgiveness is self-forgiveness. I invite you to be as kind with yourself as you are to the rest of the world. I know that many people are parents, many people are grandparents, and just check in with yourself this week. If you find yourself saying, oh, that was a great move, David, 
you probably wouldn't say David. <laughs> oh, you know, oh my gosh, that was a great move, or that was stupid, or I can't believe I did that again. Check yourself on that. If you're saying something to yourself that you wouldn't say to a child or to a grandchild, or even to a stranger, why would you say it to yourself? So I invite you into that space of, okay, let's reframe that. I am a perfect expression of the divine. I am whole, perfect, and complete. I am a spiritual being having a human experience. And oh, that's interesting. I think I don't want to show up that way again. So I invite you into that place of forgiveness. It just creates more room. It creates more room for you and for the love that you're trying to share and for the change that you're trying to make. The second piece that I would invite you into is the practice of gratitude. Now I know that many folks are, are really interested and engaged and the gratitude is a great practice. I invite you to take that a little bit deeper. Whatever your practice is, Take it to another depth, take it to another level. You know, part of my practice is when I wake up in the morning, when I'm just in that interesting state of do I want to get out of bed or not, I just go into that practice of gratitude. What am I grateful for? Some days it's glorious and it's huge and I'm grateful for this amazing planet and I'm grateful for my physical presence and I'm grateful for all of the beings in my life. And some days, I'm having a human moment, and it's the best I can do is to be grateful for my pillow and grateful for my bed. <laughs> and it's not necessarily what we're grateful for. It's we find ourselves in that place of gratitude. So jump into that. There's a, there's a reason why it is such a major focus of so many of the world's teachings. And the good news is, my friends, what we know is there's no wrong way to do this, right? You don't have to take another class. You don't have to read another book. You certainly can, and we encourage that. And you're okay, you're good, right where you are. So engage in that practice of gratitude, whatever that looks like for you. The third piece that I would invite you into is meditation. It has been said that in a number of the world's traditions, when we pray, somehow we're asking. We're asking for better health. We're asking for something for our family. We're asking for something for finances. We're asking, in some way we're beseeching or we're asking uh, the divine. And when we meditate, we're listening. So, bless you. So if you have ever had that experience where, oh, I pray and I pray and I pray and I pray and, and God doesn't listen to my prayers and I don't believe in religion and I don't believe in spirituality and God doesn't exist. Well, I bless you in that experience. God doesn't care whether you believe in God or not. It's like gravity, right? I can say, I don't believe in gravity. I'm not gonna go floating off into space. Gravity is still here. So, um, so when we are in meditation, it just allows us that moment to quiet our mind and to allow for that two-way communication with the divine. For all of my ministerial and clerical colleagues around the world, please forgive me, but the truth of the matter is you don't need us. 
Each and every being has a direct connection to the divine. You have access to the wisdom of the universe. And when we go into meditation, when we quiet our mind and allow what God has in store for us, what spirit wants us to do, when we allow ourselves to be in that place of deep listening, it's amazing what drops in for us. So I invite you into that opportunity to deepen your meditative practice. Uh, I love the quote that's attributed to the Dalai Lama, and I've heard so many people say it. I have so much to do today, I must meditate twice as long. What would that feel like when you're having a day when you just know your hair is going to be on fire? What if you took twice as much time for your self-care, for your spiritual practice, for your prayer work, uh, reading any holy book that speaks to you? I just invite you to be with that. And we're not talking hours, right? If you meditate, if you pray for five minutes, what if you went seven minutes? What if you went 10 minutes? My sense is you can probably fit that into your day. So step into that practice of, of meditation. The next practice that I invite you to consider is what is your life purpose? What is your dharma? What are you here to do? Why did God put you here? Spoiler alert, this one isn't as big as a lot of us make it out to be. Whatever you're doing now is your life purpose. You're doing what is yours to do. You are listening, you are co-creating your physical experience with the divine. Yeah, you can absolutely do something different because we are always at choice, right? We always get to choose. We always get to change. We always get to do what we think serves us. And I'm pretty clear that, you know, I like to think that I'm fairly smart and I have a really limited scope of things. So when I see what I think I wanna do in my prayer work and my meditation, I humbly add this or something better because I don't know what I don't know, and I don't want to limit God. And I said that once to a friend and a mentor of mine. I was creating a meditation for, for something I was calling in, and I said, what do you think about that? And she said, well, it sounds really good. What's the problem with it? I said, well, I don't want to limit God. And she just kind of looks at me and puts her hand on her hip. And she says, honey, I love you, and you're powerful, and you're not that powerful. <laughs> So whatever you want to do, whatever you are co-creating, put it out there. And what if we decided that we don't have to be angst-ridden and that we don't have to be guilty and that we're not doing what we came here to do? You're doing it. Yay, you! <laughs> the fifth practice that I would invite you into is along the lines of how do you spend your time um, and what does that look like for you? You know, coming into the holiday season, many people make plans with family, many people travel, and many people are really stressed out about having to spend time with family. Um, and it's okay, it's a choice, right? You get to show up with your family as you are, you get to show up in love, you get to show up in expression, 
And that's not all of the time that you have. So how are you spending your downtime? How are you spending your personal time? What does your self-care look like? Is that a massage? Is that a pedicure? Is that a nap? It's all good because it's all God. There's nothing outside of that divine perspective. So take a look at how you spend your time. And for your homework this week, I invite you into the practice just for one week. Try not saying, I don't have enough time. Because what we know is time is a human construct and we create time for the things that we need and we want and that we're bringing into our life. So take a look at how you're spending your time. The sixth thing I would invite you into, uh, I touched on it a bit earlier, is your self-talk. What, what is the languaging that you're speaking to yourself? You know, you spend 24-7 with yourself, and in some cases, 96, 97 years worth. Congratulations, Al, you're awesome. <laughs> And what is that self-talk? What are the tapes that you're playing? Is it something that you've gotten from the race consciousness? Is it something that you got from parents or institutions, be they churches or schools or, or, or anything that you have done in your life? Take a look at that. If it still serves you, that's great. Go with it. You know it, you feel it, you know it at the core of your being. If you have any question around it, be with it. That is the basis of change, right? Uh, I did a talk last month at Mile High uh, as a part of the Association for Global New Thought Gathering. And one of the things I shared uh, during that conversation is, with all due respect, I don't think our planet needs more angry activists. We need engaged activists, we need conscious activists, all along the spectrum. I'm not calling anything or anybody good or bad. We don't need anger as a motivation because when I'm in the space of being angry at myself or at anybody else, it's a lower vibration. That's why it's so easy for us to get there. When I'm in the space of love, when I'm in the place of accepting myself and at least trying to accept or understand other folks, I'm raising my vibration and I'm raising the vibration on the planet. And that starts within. What is your, what is your self-talk? You spend a whole lot of time with yourself and I invite you to change some of those scripts and, and change what that looks like and feels like for you. For those who are counting, the, the seventh item that we're, uh, I invite you to explore is volunteering. Where do you volunteer? Part of this ties in with time. Part of this ties in with how do you give back to your community? Um, and again, the good news is there's nothing wrong and you're not doing anything wrong. And how are you doing that? What does that look like for you? It, you know, it's interesting to me that we all, well, many, many vol value volunteerism. And so I'm gonna go volunteer at the soup kitchen. Well, I bless those who choose to engage in that experience. And that is not my personal heart. That is not the way that I can choose to give back. And I was with that and I was feeling guilty about that and why can't I do that and why can't I participate in that and I should be doing that and you know, that doesn't help. Guilt is not a healthy motivator. It's not a happy motivator. And guess what? You don't get extra credit if you're volunteering for something you don't like. 
So why not volunteer? If dancing brings you joy, step into it. If reading with, with we, one young person brings you joy, lean into that. I love a meme that's making its way around Facebook. Uh, this uh, 70-something retiree found a great way to volunteer. He goes to the animal shelter and they have a recliner for him and he literally takes a two-hour nap every afternoon with the cats. I gotta think that makes God smile. You get to choose, you get to co-create what works for you. So be with that as you look at change. And my friends, we're not talking, we can, but we're not necessarily talking about 180 degree change. If you wanna do that, that's great. And Reverend Norm and Reverend Millian, the practitioners here, will absolutely support you in that effort. And for many of us, we're talking about a couple of degrees. We're talking about a two or three degree change. And guess what? That will absolutely change the trajectory of your life and perhaps many other lives. So if it's a huge idea, if it's a big deal, awesome, step into it and do it. And if you wanna to drive to work a different way, give it a try. If you wanna try pumpkin spice latte, cause it is the season, See what you think, right? <laughs> Little change matters as much as big change. And so, while we're talking about change, as we're engaged in all of that, I see three opportunities for us as we step into that process. And I'm reminded of the acronym TLC. Everybody knows what TLC is. Tender, loving care, yeah. So here's a reframe on that. Take it, leave it, change it. Whenever we're confronted with change, we have the opportunity to stay in the midst of that and take it and agree with it and be with it and, and, and change with it, right? And that is where Mother, now St. Teresa, really speaks to me. She received her call when she was 12 years old in the garden with her siblings. Fast forward, she was 19 years old, already working on the streets of then Calcutta, India, uh, with what she called the poorest of the poor. It's raining, uh, it's muddy, she's wet, she's dirty, she's literally sitting on the side of a road that doesn't exist, having a crisis of faith. What is mine to do, God? And she had just received, uh, been contacted by the mother superior of her convent. Mother superior invited her back into the order. She wanted her to become an administrator of the order and help run the convent. Now, it wasn't a lot but it was a roof, it was three meals, and it was a bed. And that was more than she had on the streets of Calcutta. And while she's in the middle of her crisis of faith, she hears, she hears, she hears excuse me, very clearly, yours is to continue to serve. So that's what she does. And at the end of her life, there were more than 400 convents of the Sisters of Charity the order that she formed around the world, continuing to work with the poorest of the poor, with people with AIDS, with people with cancer, all because she took that moment to listen. And she decided that she could take it. So she was gonna take it and change with the organization within. Leave it. If something is, you know, something is changing so dramatically that you can no longer be a part of it, that's always an option, right? It's not about quitting. 
It's about being true to who you are and what is your soul journey and what are you here to do. So what does that look like for you? Is there something in your life that is no longer serving you? Is this an opportunity for you to bless it and release it and create room for more good in your life? What can you step away from? The third piece then is to change it. You know, it's a a great joy and an honor for me to have my big brother here today. Uh, Doug and Kitsy live in Colorado Springs. They've lived down here for decades. And um, it's just an honor to share this with you and I appreciate your being here. And I'm gonna tell a story about you now, so don't throw anything that stains. (laughs) So when we were growing up, We were all two years apart. My oldest brother was four years older and Doug is two years older and then me. You know, the babies are the perfect children. Um, And growing up, Doug was always all in on everything that he did. He's an extraordinary athlete. He played college ball. He set all kinds of records. He played for the Montreal Expos uh, professional team, uh, single A. He runs the arena gym down here in Colorado Springs, helping bring new younger athletes along, sharing his passion, right? That is what he does. And when we were kids, he had this giant, I mean giant, flag of Israel in his room. And it was the blue and white stripes with the blue star of David, and it was really beautiful. And it was really interesting considering, you know, we were all baptized Lutheran, and we weren't (laughs) raised in any particular religious tradition. And I love Doug's story. He resonated with the Jewish tradition, And so he had the the big Jewish flag and whenever anybody would come by and ask, and they would say, you know, in as many words, what's up with the Israeli flag? And he said, I'm gonna be the first Jewish quarterback of Notre Dame. (laughs) Now talk to me about a BHAG, my friends. He didn't, he didn't, either didn't know or he didn't care about everybody saying why and how that would never happen or that could never come true. He just knew who he was and he knew what he wanted to do. And, you know, fast forward, he and Kitson are strong Christians in their belief and they are extraordinary members of the community. My three nephews and their wives and their families are all in my humble opinion, pillars of Colorado Springs society. And I am up here as a Reverend Goldberg. And I just have to tell you, I went to the homecoming game at our high school um, Friday night. So Doug and I and our older brother went there, Uh, my two nephews and my niece went there, and now the third generation of Goldbergs are at Broomfield High School. And I have to tell you, none of us were ever awarded most likely to be on a spiritual path. So. So I share that with you in times of change. Think about that. You can take it, you can leave it, or you can change it. You are always at choice. We may not always like our choices, and we are always at choice. There is always another option. So I wanted to share one more piece from Ernest Holmes with you. The other lens that I use is from a a number of the world's traditions before, and I'm, I'm getting better at it. I'd like to say that I'm perfect and I'm the farthest thing from. And it's using the lens of is it true, is it kind, is it necessary? 
Before I speak, I just check in with myself, is it true? And most of the time, I'm okay in, in that regard. Sometimes not, then I know that it's not mine to do. The second piece is, is it kind? And that's a pretty clear distinct, uh, distinctor for me. And if it's neutral, if my intention is not kind in bringing this forward, that counts too, folks. You, you don't get a pass on that one. So if I intend it to do harm, then I don't get to speak it or say it either. And is it necessary? Will what I'm adding to the conversation in whatever realm be beneficial? Or perhaps silence might serve us better. You know, I love what Ernest wrote when he said, hope is a subtle illusion and principle is not bound by precedent. So as we step into change, as we think about what might be serving us and what might not, and as we think about things that we don't want to change, for me, that tells us that just because we did it that way before doesn't mean we have to do it that way again. Principle, what you know at the core of your being to be true is not based on precedent. And what Ernest shared on that is, because we fail to realize that principle is not bound by precedent, we limit our faith to that which has already been accomplished, and few miracles result. When, through intuition, faith finds its proper place under divine law, there are no limitations, and what are called miraculous results follow. As I'm moving to my closing story, I just wanted to share with you how grateful I am to be with you. I am really clear that the only reason we are here today is to celebrate Al and another trip around the sun. And, and we bless you in that experience, dear one. Thank you for all you have given to so many for so long. And I also wanted to honor Denise and the extraordinary music team, the world's most dangerous church band. You guys are amazing. Colorado Springs own. What a gift, what a gift. Speaking of raising the vibration on the planet, every word spoken here, every song, every note played is extraordinary and it is a gift from the divine. Thank you all for sharing your gifts. So I just wanted to speak one more, one more uh, little story about change. Uh, when Rick and I have been hanging out together for, I don't know, three or four years, <clears throat> excuse me, we knew that we wanted to spend the rest of our lives together. And we were going to visit his, his uh, folks outside of Boston, Boston Mass, as we say back east, um, from the Colorado kid. Uh, so we went to visit his folks in Boston and they were in a nursing home together. They were both 89 years old. Dad is strong and strong as bull, as they say in the movies, a former Navy SEAL. And he was having some cognitive issues. And mar mom is sharp as a tack and she was having some physical issues. So she would sit in the wheelchair, he would get behind her, and they were a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> and, and they were touring around the nursing home and doing everything that, that they wanted to do and they were unstoppable. And I have to tell you, one of the most difficult things I had to do in a long time, being from Boston, they're big Patriots fans, it's not polite to boo in church. Um, <laughs> And so I went online and I got two Boston Patriots jerseys for his parents, right? Wanted, wanted to 
wanted to get in good with the potential new in-laws. So we go and I give them their jerseys and dad puts it on right away and mom is very sweet and puts it on the bed. And, um, and you know, I knew. And so I asked them if, if uh, I asked for their permission to marry Rick. And dad, the Navy SEAL, gets a little tear in his eye and I wasn't sure if he understood exactly what was, what was going on and he was tracking, he was right there with us. And he said, you make my son happy, therefore you make me happy. And mom looked at me and she just smiled and she nodded her head yes. Now, not three minutes later, I'm having a conversation with dad kind of off to the side. Rick is visiting with his mom and I just hear a little bit louder than normal. I hear his mother say in this charming Boston accent, honey, I'm so excited for you. You're marrying a Jewish doctor. (laughs) Now in this particular instance, my beloved didn't miss a beat and talk about change, right? Changing perspective. He said, well, thanks mom, but he's not that kind of Jew and he's not that kind of doctor. So in this day and this week as we go forward, I, embrace, I invite you to embrace change, whatever that looks like for you, and just know that it is all good because it's all God. Please join me in prayer. Hmm. So in this time, in this place, I know that that one power, that one thing that I choose to call God is forever present in, around, and through all sentient beings. It is good, it is very good, it is extraordinary. And I know that one power, that one presence is all of me and I am a part of it. And so I know that for myself, I know that for every being here, I know that for every being on the planet. And I call in the highest and best in every aspect of these beloved's lives, mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, professional, whatever it is, we know that God is always conspiring for our good and that the universe always has our back. And I just invite us into that space. And as we move into that place of change, as we move into letting go of that which no longer serves and calling in that which our hearts desire, what we are co-creating with the divine, I just bless it. I allow it. I call it in. I know it comes with ease, with grace, with joy, with peace. Hmm. And I just allow myself to be in that space. So as we go forth in this day, as we go forth in this week and beyond, I know that we live the concept of namaste, that the divinity in me blesses and recognizes the divinity in you. And I know that every conversation, every action, reaction, interaction, and transaction is God speaking to God. So I just allow us to be in that space. And I say, thank you. I say, thank you, divine spirit. Mm. And it is from this place of deep knowing and tremendous thanksgiving that I simply release this word into the alchemy of love and logic known as the law. I know that each being is whole, perfect, and complete. I know that each being is a divine expression co-creating an existence of beauty, of joy, of love. And I just rest into that. 
I allow that to be. I know that to be my truth. I allow that to be the truth of all. And together we say, and so it is, and so I am, and so we are. I am the place where God lives, moves and breathes and has its being. I am the place where God shows up. I am the place where God lives, moves and breathes and has its being. I am the place where God shows up. Where God lives, moves and breathes and has its being. I am the place where God shows up. Yes, I am the place where God lives, moves and breathes and has its being. I am the place where God shows up. For the rest of this week for us to eat on right chew on a little bit and now we come to that time in our service where all can participate and the ushers are coming forth and at this time as we prepare for the offering please take that offering gift or tithe and place it over your heart and repeat this affirmation I joyfully celebrate the flow of God through me I am grateful for receiving and giving to my spiritual community. I give thanks, always knowing God is my source, and so it is. 